Hello, folks, and welcome back to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. Today, I'm joined by our returning guest, Dinah Rankin. Dinah, thank you for coming on to discuss this harrowing topic. Oh, yes, I'm I'm ready. Let's let's talk about it. <laughs> Is this something that you're like, yeah, you are familiar with this shit. Like, oh, like I, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I feel like this is like kind of like in your pop culture wheelhouse of, of stuff. Um, yeah, we, we all know about the heroin chic and the uh, H lifestyle and all that stuff. I'm yeah. I've been well acquainted <laughs> in the in the biz in the uh, biz. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I felt like who better to to have on this episode than a uh, a funny working model. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, the beautiful supermodel genius as your Instagram handle. Goes. Yes. Yes. I, I rebranded. I'm now beautiful supermodel genius. And um, I just decided it was time to be myself. So. that's that's awesome all right so today we're talking about heroin chic and this is like it's going to be a looser kind of a dump because there's not like necessarily a fixed timeline or trajectory to follow and there's a lot of different elements but uh what why is it a dump it's a dump because it's a massive pop culture movement that impacted fashion music and film in a way that completely changed the landscape of entertainment and advertising until its influence was met with backlash not only from concerned parents and conservative adults but also from high-ranking public officials including the president of the united states the lasting effects of heroin chic were combated for the following decade and change only for the trend to rise again in the present day one of the most misunderstood aspects of the heroin chic movement was the fact that it wasn't really based on heroin at all at the root of the whole scene was a young photographer who died long before his time but not from drugs there's also a direct correlation between heroin chic and rising statistics and eating disorders and teen drug use. Uh, similar controversial youth trends have been blamed for negative influence on the youth without any solid proof. But in the case of heroin chic, the negative hype proved to be all too true. Now, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this. Uh, you know, it's it's the movies, it's the music, but it all starts with fashion. Um like are you familiar with like who were the big models of like the 80s by any chance uh yeah it was like well the the 80s was like super glam and we had you know like you know jerry hall and all those like what's her name like lauren hutton oh she's kind of 70s but the 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 90s was supposed to be like christy kate naomi uh the like big supermodels and then right and then um you know kate moss kind of messed that up or well, she didn't really mess that up she, she was just like the antithesis of like the buxom babe yeah yeah and i think it was such like a stark contrast opposite that like all the attention went to the kate moss scene and really and, and you might know more about this than i do but like when it comes to the fashion aspect there was two major hubs of modeling there's ford models and elite and yeah. ford was run by a woman and was seen as like the high class like that's your vogue cover and elite was more like trashy isn't the right word but that's kind of the word like more edgy more risky more like party lifestyle yeah um, but they um both ultimately were um brothels 
Uh, right. Of, of course. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, to say that Forbes, just because it was run by a woman, wasn't crooked and fucked up. No. Yeah, of course. Uh, but my understanding um, was that Elite was a little worse or at least more open about that kind of shit, probably because it was run by a guy. Uh, Julian uh, Ju- Casablanca's father. Yeah. Yeah. John Casablanca's. Yeah. So, again, yeah. folks, if you ever are down on yourself because your band's not getting big and you really like the Strokes, just know that his dad ran supermodel like industry. And uh, without that, he like the Strokes would probably just put another band. Yeah, uh, that guy, um, one of the big agents, was recently murdered in um, his jail cell who was connected to the Epstein case. Oh, my God. Yeah, that happened like last week. He got that Epstein flu. You know, it's going around. Yeah, the Epstein flu. (laughs) Just killing killing people that are uh, All of a sudden, just dead in in his cell and the cameras were turned off. But he was a big modeling agent in the 90s. And... um, uh, actually there was recently an interview where like, I think it was like Susan Holmes, who's like kind of like a, she, she was like a really big model in the nineties, but probably not as known as like Cindy Crawford and like the big girls. But she was saying like, Oh yeah, like that guy, he was one of our big agents and he's, he's being interrogated for the Epstein case. And Jesus. It's like, Oh, well, well, it's not, yeah, it's like shocker that yeah. fucking, of course, that guy had his hand in like this just endless pool of, of young uh, talent, let's say. Uh, Jesus. So right. let's get let's get into it. In order to understand the origin of heroin chic, you first have to look at the trends that preceded it. The 1980s were soaked in excess. The music, fashion, and films that represent the 1980s were all about bigger is better, bigger hair, louder music, bigger parties, faster cars, tons of color, tons of smiles. But yeah. as the 1990s approached... There was many young people who had grown sick and tired of the superficial aesthetics of the Reagan era and began to reject the current trends in search of something more real. And it really is a big difference. Like like the <laughs> 80s Sunset Strip versus the 90s Sunset Strip. It's like 100. But there's just this huge 180 turn that we didn't see from the 70s going into the 80s. Like, well, I, I think people are just sick of it. Heroin's a much different drug than cocaine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll get into why heroin uh, came because it's not as fun. All right. Like everyone knows that cocaine's fun. Not that I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> instigating the drug use amongst our listeners. But uh, if I had to pick one of the two to exist in the world, I would pick cocaine every time. Uh, it, <laughs> that's just how that goes that's my way to like loot like walk on eggshells around that little blurb so right. there was an abrupt change in youth culture in the early 90s it seemed that overnight hair bands and new wave groups big budget action films and glamorous high fashion photography were swapped out for grunge bands and gritty hip-hop edgy independent films and a new take on fashion photography that was a stark contrast to the previous trends there were millions of teens who wanted a movement they could relate to rather than what mtv was telling them was cool see now mtv though they would follow suit with what the young people liked but in the 80s when they got their foot they really were like no we're telling you this band is big eventually mtv had to start listening to the trends yeah that, 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 that's kind of what happened and and now they just play uh ridiculousness on loop yeah, 23 hours a day on 23 hours a day it's, it's incredible. insane it's incredible it's like are you fucking serious? Like I've I've never watched the show. I have no idea what it is. But it's if just you, like 
Like, it's like a Tinder date gone wrong. Like, you just go over, and instead of it being just the guy, there's, like, two of his friends there, and they just want to show you YouTube videos. That's crazy. It's like, so is there, like, a weird, like, mutant gremlin that's, like, taken over MTV, and, like, he's, like, obsessed with the show Ridiculousness? Yeah, his and, name like... is the host of the show, Rob Deerdick. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. So, like, I just have to know, like, what does he have on, like, the network? <laughs> well, like, yeah, it, it, like exactly. It I just think that they just ran out of shit. Or I think that they're realizing they're like, okay, the only people that are actually watching MTV like on cable are like people working a job where they're allowed to have a TV on, like so, like a bar or something, or like people that don't have the internet. <laughs> so they're like, let's just give them ridiculousness. They just want to see guys get hit in the nuts like all day, like caveman humor. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know, but it, it was literally played for, I believe, like. Uh, upward over 16 hours of but, a slot like where but like where do they get funding for like the mtv movie awards and like the vmas i don't know i don't uh, all know. the advertisers i all guess the, like, yeah beats okay. by dre and fucking pepsi I right guess. right right because because those award shows have stayed consistent throughout the decades like they're still relevant but the actual network itself is literally ridiculousness on loop <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's true yeah it, 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 it's true and like like if you have the paramount plus app they have like they have all the mtv stuff and you go through and you're like damn like you can see all of the different like trends like in real time as you're scrolling through and then you hit like nowadays and it's yeah it's just ridiculousness or like jersey shore's like 15th reunion like, right that, it's incredible it's like how did this all, even happen but let's get back to got. topic yeah <laughs> okay so the nihilism of the heroin chic movement was a reaction towards the decadence of the previous decade and it was a reflection of what the youth culture really was at the time the sound was rough and dark the look was untouched and raw and the attitude was apathetic and just too cool that's the thing about this topic by the way i like a lot of this shit like, like all the movies we're going to talk about, I fucking love, like all the music, like is all good stuff. Like the fucking fashion shit is cool. So it's kind of, it's almost a dump just because of the negative reaction it got. But this is like, yeah, arguably like cool stuff. But, but like, also Chic like, is cool. yeah, but also it's like, you're not a boomer. Like you didn't like, you weren't 20 in 1980, which meant that you were like, you know, 13 in 1970, whatever. Right. And you're not yeah. like dealing with like the the hangover from the 60s, which is like, you, you know, it's like, right. of course, everybody in the 80s wanted to act like that because like they were re they were reacting from the previous decade. So once right. that hits, if you grew up in the seventies yeah. to, to be old enough to party in the eighties, your parents were probably hippies. And then they became like the swingers and like the fucking weird, cool seventies, like party shit right. and disco era. So then you had your own shit in the eighties, but then yeah. when those people start having kids, then it's like, well, you know, I don't yeah. fucking like, I I hate my rich yuppie dad. Grunge yeah. is the complete opposite. Exactly. I don't want to dress like a preppy. I want t tears in my jeans. I don't want to do Coke. I want to do fucking heroin. It's this whole thing. Yeah, and exactly. We're gonna break it all down. So now it's like, I wonder what the next wave is going to be. Cause everything's like super 
uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but let's, let's keep going. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. But yes. what the next thing is going to be is going to be what's happening now. It's a, everything's a cycle, but we will discuss that. So we're going to look at three major components of heroin chic that includes music, film, and most importantly, fashion. So much like with any other trend or youth movement, it did not have a label until it was mainstream. And then the you know public began to pick up on it. Grunge was called punk or alternative rock before it was called grunge, which by that time Nirvana had already taken over the world. There were plenty of films that fit into the heroin chic movement because it was a great time to be an ambitious young filmmaker, but there wasn't a clear goal to produce movies targeting disenchanted young people. And in the fashion world, the trend wasn't really based on drugs per se. It was about portraying cool young people as they really were, unafraid and unbothered, sometimes depressed, but always cool and most of all, real. Now, of course, in the fashion industry, in all these industries, there's shitloads of drugs and shitloads of, you know, abuse and all that stuff. But what the thing, the thing that drove heroin chic were people that were too young to be doing that to each other yet. You know, it was like it was really a, a movement that started with teenagers wanting to make stuff for them and their friends and wanting to portray, you know, life as they knew it. It wasn't like power moves being played it was really earnest but that earnestness you know it showed the sign of the times which you know was heroin use and things like that Mm -hmm. so the music the clearest transition point from the 80s excess to 90s nihilism is the introduction of grunge music into the mainstream grunge wasn't about being the biggest rock star you could be it was about expressing dissatisfaction with the mainstream and working out the unavoidable angst young people in small towns experience while growing up The music that would define the first half of the 1990s was more personal than the genres that dominated the 80s. Rather than being the soundtrack to a killer party, it was music to listen to alone in your room, and the drugs that became commonplace in the scene reflected that. Now, also, the rap uh, at the time, we're gonna, I'm just going to briefly bl- plow through this. Like, hip hop had changed greatly, too. You know, at the end of the 80s, you have the introduction of gangster rap with NWA and Ice T. And that was like a huge far cry from like Run DMC and MC Hammer and like the danceable fun rap. Like, it yeah. became real. And then as the 90s crept in, like, the, the shift from gangster rap moved from the West Coast to like this raw street stuff from New York, like Mob Deep, Nas, Wu Tang, Big L, even Biggie kind of fits into that where it's underproduced, like just raw, grittier, like slang that only you would know if you were on the streets. Like it, so it, rap and grunge kind of followed the same trajectory uh, at, at this time. And the drug of choice throughout the 80s was cocaine, a stimulant that allowed partiers to go all night and was seen as a very social drug. But as grunge became more prominent, the go-to drug became heroin, an opiate that tends to turn people into shut-ins and allows the user to fall into themselves and stay in a protective, albeit self-destructive, cocoon that shields them from the harsh outside world. Almost all of the main grunge icons discussed their heroin use openly, which inspired many a youth to try it. Oh, this God. Is like, <laughs> this is like the main... I mean, like, Courtney Love is probably like one of the top heroin chic icons. Like she wasn't a model. Like when people think heroin chic, they think Kate Moss, but yeah. Courtney love is like way more like on the female side of things. She's way more responsible for that shit. Yeah. Um, but you know, stone temple pilots would, would talk about that. Alice in chains. It was very, very, very open. Um, and, and, and like no one in music, heroin's always been kind of like this top tier, like crazy drug like what like once you get to that point you're like really made it in like the <laughs> depressed like <laughs> downward spiral rock star phase you know right um 
but it's not something that like people just like flock to, and especially after the '80s. But the, this new wave of like voices of generate of a generation made it cool. But like if you go back to the '60s, you have like the Velvet Underground and Nico talking about heroin use with like a song literally called Heroin. So mm -hmm. that starts, you know, like this whole glamorizing the idea of a junkie, like and smoking cigarettes and all that. That's the heroin chic aspect in the music. Mm -hmm. Now, the main reason for that switch in popular drugs was geographic. Los Angeles and New York were the capitals for pop culture and entertainment in the 80s. But as overexposure forced young people to look elsewhere for more genuine art, the focus shifted to the Pacific Northwest, where due to the lack of posh nightclubs and the absence of the entertainment industry, cocaine use was far less common than it was in L.A. or New York. Heroin began flooding into places like Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, and the, as the Pacific Northwest became the new cultural hub, the region's drug of choice went mainstream. I feel like there aren't any, like, no one wants to do cocaine up there because, like, in Portland or in the Pacific Northwest, I just want to sleep as much as possible. Yeah, so I don't have like, to deal with being there. It's, like, rainy and, I mean, it's really beautiful. It's, like, very, like, serene and gorgeous, but... It's definitely not a cocaine city. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine some of like the like the because like Portland especially has like a huge scene for like street kids and crust punks and traveling kids, right? And stuff like, dude, if I had to spend an hour on a fucking boxcar with one of them hopped up on cocaine instead of heroin, uh, it that's hell. That's <laughs> literally hell. Like, I, oh. like it, it's it's awful. But again, you know, we're, there's going to be a lot of uh, heroin jokes in this. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. But let's, heroin is a joke. <laughs> yeah, let's let let let's talk about the the junkie lifestyle. Let's let's yeah, get into yeah. that. <laughs> Okay, first of all, it's fucking, it's not glamorous, it's messy, You're, there's trash all over your room, and, oh, God. Like, you know, and piles of clothes, and, like, there, there's gonna be a, a time, I feel, and you could probably elaborate more on this, but I feel like there's a time in a junkie's, like, life span of being a junkie where like it's fun and cute at first like for them and they're just like oh yeah like my room's crazy and like, like let's just throw on some music and then it gets then the mess never goes away and everything else gets worse well i mean sh sh should we should we fast forward to cobra snake era and indie sleaze and how that is the heroin yeah sure well, well that's kind of revival because that's, that's like our era cause, right because so. like that's that's what i can comment on Right. Because I was there. Yeah. And <laughs> what I'll say about that is that, like what Indie Sleaze was, and we'll talk about a little bit more towards the end of the episode when we're talking about how all this shit has come back. Right. It came back for us, you know, I mean, for sure. And it, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't even call it Indie Sleaze. Can you imagine if someone was like, oh, are you Indie Sleaze? Like the word was hipster back then. And even that yeah. was like a derogatory term. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it was like to me what it was, was it was all the decadence and dancing and shit from the 80s mixed with the look and all that from heroin chic. So it was right. like heroin chic in American apparel. Right, right, right. Yeah. And and there was definitely like a certain type of like voltage of glamour to it, which was definitely not something that was happening in the 90s. Um, right. I mean, in the 90s, I was a child, so it's not like I'm going to be... <laughs> On no, the of scene. course not. Yeah, <laughs> they had the Viper room yeah. with a fucking bottle. Well, I was two, and <laughs> River Phoenix was there. River yeah. Phoenix was there. One of my very, very best friends. 
So with, with the indie sleaze movement, though, like, like, what do you remember? Like, because that's when American Apparel was really popular, and like, there was kind of like the emaciated look All was right. coming back. All yeah, right, t- All... give me a glimpse. <laughs> okay, so the year is two thousand and nine. well i mean so it all it all started because uh you know we all saw that picture of fucking Corey kennedy wearing like you know a sweatband on her head and she was like you know all skinny and crazy looking but like was really really cool and everybody saw that and it was just like i want to be like her that's it that's who i want to be like and it was a reaction to the kind of like very polished celebrity culture that was prevalent in the late 2000s you know and then up pops this girl and it's you know on the internet which is you know uh, it like blogging was something that was kind of new back then I feel like that totally yeah. drove it because like, oh, yeah. that, like, you know, the last episode you were on, we were talking about Tila Tequila. And like, I feel like when you get to the indie sleaze stuff, it's like now there's an established system of getting famous on the internet and you don't have like, you don't have like yeah. millions of dollars of entertainment industry behind you to keep you from fucking up. So you can be as sloppy as you want. And that's kind of the charm. Yeah. And like blogs were so instrumental in that because it was like, I want to be seen like covered in sweat, like rolling my ass off or whatever on like Cobra snake or on Arab parrot. Yeah. Yeah. So basically like, you know, everybody saw that and it was, you know, young kids like myself who were living in small towns and, you know, (laughs) wanted to see what, what kids who were doing, who were hanging out with big celebrities going to these big parties, you know, it felt like you were like backstage somehow. Like you were like, wow, like, this is the actual inner circle and you'd see these photographs and you'd want to be like this girl. And soon enough, everybody was dressing, you know, in like these weird sweatbands and wearing high shorts and everybody weighed about 90 pounds and didn't brush (laughs) their hair and (laughs) didn't brush their hair. And we wore leotards, like this like fucked up version of like, leotards from the 80s and american apparel was like you know this perverted uh like harem and everybody was cool with it and yeah yeah (laughs) it it was weird like i felt like if you lived in la or new york like like if you were within that scene like everyone you knew like all the girls you knew had done something for american apparel at some point right like they either worked in the store or they were on a billboard you're like oh shit that's blah 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 you know yeah. but then it would like the next day it would be someone else and like yeah. they were increasingly like kind of raunchy yeah and they, and they really pushed that heroin chic look too i mean when I, okay the time right. you're talking about 2009 2010ish i lived off hollywood boulevard in an eight bedroom house with two drug dealers right and so like 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 Arab parrot and fucking like all, like all the kind of models that you would see like floating around the blogs and like going to see like justice DJ and yeah. like the Ed Banger record stuff. Like they yeah. were all coming into the house and I felt like cool as shit. I was like, dude, like little did I know I was like living like in a total absolute squalor, but it let's, seemed cool. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> you know? let's, let's talk about the squalor. Cause I also yeah. lived, I lived in Hollywood too. I think it was like 2011 maybe ish 2011 and that was i lived on hollywood and um it was like off near where cherokee was uh oh right in this right in the thick of it right in the thick of it and i actually lived across the street from peaches geldoff's apartment and they were all junkies 
and they were like fully I mean it was a, it was a heroin den and like I remember going over there and there'd be clothes everywhere of course clothes yeah, of clothes <laughs> clothes but but the thing was is that it was like during the whole like cobra snake era so the whole thing was is like you go to the dollar sale and mark and you know all those guys would like pick out junk from the fucking right. bed <laughs> and then you you take it home and hopefully you put it in the fucking washing machine and then you know you put on like random outfits and then you take pictures and it end up on the blog and you know suddenly you were famous and all the girls were on dope. <laughs> and it, yeah, and the fucked up thing is like you weren't really famous though. It's like that's a young person's fame because yeah. you're not like most of the time, I mean, with there's obviously exceptions like with the Geldof or so, but like they weren't you weren't making money and you lived in squalor because you didn't have any you're fishing cigarette butts out of the sink drain, you yeah. know, cuz like one of your roommates always has 12 people over. There's PBR cans everywhere. Well, and, they like, didn't You know, need, if you were a guy. Well, I mean, well, it was it was like a mix of like really really wealthy people and like cool young people who like not who weren't necessarily really really rich but like right it was like this you know but, but it was like there was a rich girl with daddy's money always so they didn't really yes. need to worry about jobs <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and, and and it seemed like they never really cared like yeah like and it's it also like there's a difference and we're going to talk about this difference in heroin but a lot of the heroin girls like that I knew and guys too. I mean, they were smoking it. And so that yeah, leaves, yeah. that leaves like tar covered foil all over the place. And oh my cut God. straws and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's inherently and they, it's and disgusting. Your fingers are always they, dirty. They literally always had like little black patches on their nose. <laughs> like, and I remember like they would always like, I had to live with them. I mean, I never did dope myself. Thank God. But right. um, but I was I had the unfortunate circumstance of being surrounded by junkies for so many years, and they would always end up crashing in my apartment, and I would get really upset whenever they'd be like using heroin like right in front of me. And I remember yeah, one time, like to them, it it's, it just yeah. seems like like lighting up a joint, and it's like no, dog. right? <laughs> it's like it smells like tar in here. And, yeah. um, and I remember one time it was like this girl, I don't know if I should really drop names, but these, you don't have to. yeah, I mean, these people were staying at my apartment for weeks and I was trying to get them out and they were smoking dope. And I remember like they were smoking dope in the fucking hallway of my apartment uh. and, and I was like, what are you doing? And they were like, nothing. And then they had the little black spots on on on, on their nose, like like they, like they, like like it was like they're gonna go as like a puppy for Halloween. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, it was it was like it was like a puppy who's like gotten in, in, into the trash and was like, I wasn't stooping through the trash. It's like I can see it on your face, dumbass. Yeah. Oh my god, it was just hell. Uh, well, before we 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 go, you know, continue this path of heroin chic. I want to yeah. say with that with that particular moment in time. Um, on top of like an American apparel, like pair of hot pants or like, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, Wayfarers. The other thing that um, was a <laughs> must have for a girl was bruises all over your fucking ass. <gasps> bruises. Yes. Bruises. Yeah. <laughs> bruises were huge, huge. No, I will never forget. There was. OK, so there was this blog called Johnny's Bird and there was this um, photographer named Moni Hayworth. And she was like kind of big on the scene, I'm sure. I mean, maybe people know who she is, but I remember like, you know, I was a model back then and I was 
she was like, oh, I want to photograph your apartment. And I assumed that she meant that she wanted to photograph me. So I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Cool. And then she brings in this girl named Rebecca, who is the biggest junkie I've ever seen in my whole fucking life. And she is like dead. Like this, this girl is basically fucking dead. (laughs) And she has like bruises all over her body. She's just like emaciated. I mean, this girl is off the fucking rails and, but it was like the look and, you know, they photographed her for the blog in my apartment, like crawling all over my bed crawling like through my clothes. Like, and I was just sitting there just like, this is, this sucks. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I get it. I'm not the look, but, um, damn. <laughs> well, and, and it's, okay. You might, you might know this girl and I'm going to, I'm going to say her name because it was a nickname and I know that she's sober now and doesn't go by it. But do, right. you, do you ever know that girl deathy? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you know, did you know um, about her? Very close friends with the death queen for a very, very long time. Okay. Yes, I know uh, everything about Tina. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Drop the government. So, okay. She was on, if, if you guys at home, if you're a little bit younger and you weren't around for oh, all this and you want to see what it was, what it was like in like a very objective way, the, the National Geographic channel had a show called Drugs Inc. And, and she, they would, God, she, she was on it. She yes, was on the episode Hollywood High. Us, she tried to tell us that they were filming a documentary. She like, she wanted to come. She came over to my apartment actually unannounced and was like, yeah, Dinah, it's gonna be a par- it's gonna be a documentary about like cool party kids in LA. Do you want to be on it? And I was like, nope. Who's <laughs> who's making this? She's like, uh, it's National Geographic. And I was like, that's a no. That's like a yeah, that that's, doesn't sound. That's not, it's not a, like Vice. That's not. And I was like, no, I definitely don't want to be featured on this. And I remember her and Strider were on my fucking roof taking pictures and like Cobra Snake gear or whatever. And like, you know, I mean like that was like i mean she was like really into fashion and like i love her and you know that was bruises and that was a really good aspect of her but like you know she was really struggling with addiction and um, right and national geographic took that and ran with it and they they edited it to be so bad yeah i remember because i hung out with her once i went to her parents house where she was staying in their fucking back house like the pool house which was again clothes everywhere fucking trash everywhere like you know paraphernalia everywhere but i asked her about it and i was like so like were you like she's like i was trying to fuck with them and like was trying to be like as goofy as possible and then they fucked with me and completely edited it and like put in the narrations where it's like struggling for her next high she crushes up a line on a club toilet well i mean but she was but you were doing it yeah exactly no no like i i look back on that time and like i can't believe how naive i was to how bad that situation really really was like i am i'm like terrified to think about like oh my god i like got in the car with her like let her drive (laughs) yeah we all yeah there was a lot of shady shady shit but if you were like in the upper like yeah because you were part of like the hot girl crew so it's like you're hanging out with all the coolest people in that where it was the worst yeah you know it's like you know it's it's so funny like people are like publishing books and stuff and like saying they were there i was like i never saw you bitch like yeah (laughs) yeah yeah like i don't like you literally weren't so like what are you talking about yeah if you were there it's because you paid to get in not because you were on the list you You were like i never like you don't know anyone like you know you weren't there 
right um, <laughs> all uh, right but, well but yeah no but the the death queen that moment i mean i i remember like seeing tina and i was just like oh my god like she's a it girl she has such great great style this is you know like she's so funny like she was a very like warm person to be around but like yeah the sad truth is that she was really struggling with you know fucking drugs heavy shit everybody was everybody was like especially the girls because like guys you know when you present yourself that way it's you know like you tend to garner less like less honest respect from like dudes so men were just getting and also men were just getting away treating women like shit and like abusing chicks and assaulting women and stuff yeah and, like there like, was this weird dichotomy of like the girls were like putting out this vision of like trashy party gal anything fucking goes and then there was mm-hmm. guys that were just taking advantage of that without any fucking reprimand oh my and like God. it was just a perfect tornado but also i feel like um there was a lot of girls that saw that movie factory girl about edie sedgwick yeah and that was really inspirational and then also party monster was another film that like like that whole scene like we all saw in high school and that kind of influenced this like yeah party but, like, lifestyle. It wasn't, but, but like i was there it wasn't fun like no 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 it, like, it never I, is yeah like like it never i guess was. It, i guess it looks so fun from the outside but i like i mean honestly it's like <laughs> i like when i think about i'm like man like the most fun i ever had uh none of it uh it all was horrible and everybody was on fucking dope right like, like going on sleds and shit is fun like yeah. going to parties with a bunch of junkies is not fun yeah it's like it's like emo is coming back right now in a huge way like i was an emo kid guess what it wasn't that fucking fun back then because everyone fucking made fun of you now like the kids yeah. that were, are like are like the coolest kids in school are like painting their fucking nails but you know? they I'm are a day late a dollar short yeah but they're not really emo it's like no, exactly. and, and that's the thing it's like you're not really emo the same way that the indie sleaze wasn't really grunge like like what what you are is you are really mentally ill (laughs) yeah Yeah, you're just young and searching for something and like i said though uh when i mentioned those those movies like i know party monster for sure impacted a lot of fucking people that were yeah um but let's get into the films of the heroin chic movement so the film industry was changing as well at the dawn of the 90s. The 80s were characterized by big budget action films, buddy comedies, and bubbly teen rom-coms. The heroin chic movement, which again wasn't called that until it was basically over, uh, found a place in film as well. Studios began taking chances on young, cutting-edge independent filmmakers tackling much harsher storylines than mainstream cinema had ever seen. True, there are earlier examples of films like the ones that this moment in time became known for, but it wasn't just the films that were changing. The movie stars themselves were different. So the go-to list of iconic heroin chic films include 1989's Drugstore Cowboy, 1994's Pulp Fiction, 1995's Basketball Diaries and Kids, respectively, and 1996's Train Spotting. Now, while most of these films lean heavily on drug use, a film like Kids focuses more on the gritty reality of contemporary youth culture in a big city. And the thing with heroin chic was that it didn't necessarily put heroin on a pedestal. It was more of an overall aesthetic adopted by artists looking to strip any form of glitz and glamour away from their projects. And the ironic thing about the heroin chic movement in film is that they weren't actually glorifying drug use. It was totally the opposite of that. Like no one watches basketball diaries and is like, <laughs> I want to do fucking heroin. You yeah. know, that or like even train spotting, like 
like no. Pulp Fiction, I will say, kind of romanticizes it because you have that cool scene of John Travolta like setting up his syringe, and then you know the blood enters the syringe and he jams it, and he's driving, looking all cool, like <laughs> driving through the valley or whatever. But then, like ten minutes later. Uma Thurman snorts the shit and almost dies. And it's like one of the least glamorous things. So right. like the film, it's totally this misunderstood thing where it's like, like parents are seeing these movies and being like, Oh, this is influencing our kids. But kids are watching these movies and be like, where are you getting that from? Like yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio gets his dick sucked by an old man in a train station for a fucking $10 spot of heroin. That's but, not glamorizing it. Oh God. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It, it's this whole other, other thing. Yeah. So, the other side, though, of heroin chic's influence in cinema is the way that the movie stars themselves had changed. In the early 90s, there was an influx of young talent that was too cool for the traditional Hollywood star system. The focus for many young actors became the quality of the films they starred in rather than being a star. The new wave of celebrities did not enjoy the spotlight and preferred to be almost anonymous in a public setting. And this attitude manifested itself in the Johnny Depp-owned L.A. nightclub, The Viper Room. Uh, how many times have you been to the Viper Room and enjoyed your time there? I've literally never been to the Viper Room. Oh, you've never been? Oh, my God. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard that it's like, it's like, a, I mean, nobody goes to like the Whiskey A Go-Go or like the Viper Room or like the Roxy. Unless it's a goof. Yeah, unless it's like to be ironic and funny. Like, right. like, yeah, I, I yeah. saw um, I saw the band Fang play at Viper Room. I only went because their singer, uh, I, I was friends with them and he was also a convicted <laughs> murderer. And I was like, I want to go see this convicted murderer. Right. Play a concert. Right. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And then the other. Yeah. And then like every other time I went, it's just because like someone's pay to play gig where like, yeah, like I, to be a friend, like I bought a ten dollar presale ticket. Yeah. yeah. Or like. uh like me and my friend, we went to the whiskey to see orgy, like as right. a joke. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like, totally. Like, like and like it's funny. Like <laughs> right, and that that's what yeah. the strip is. And like, yeah. I mean, it is sad though, because like if you go to like the rainbow, like you'll meet, like so someone eventually will come up and try and bum a cigarette off of me or something. And like they're always like, oh yeah, so like I'm trying to put together this thing at the whiskey. I'm like, stop, just stop right there. <laughs> Like, like I'm not going to that. No like, one's going to that. Like, what like, the fuck are you talking about? Stop trying to find bands to trick into playing there. Like, that's not where you get started. Like, at, it, it's just, it's so brutal. But at one point in time, the Viper Room was the toast of pretty much the entire celebrity world. Right. So, but like. In that's the, far cry from, from now. <laughs> yeah. Like in like the early 90s for like five fucking minutes. <laughs> right. And, and we'll talk about that five minutes. So in 1993, Depp, along with fellow actor Sal Janko, opened the Viper Room with a star studded night that included an exclusive set by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Depp used his influence to book top billing acts like Johnny Cash, for instance, to play at what was arguably the smallest venue that many of them had ever played. The pedigree of talent booked to perform alongside the A-list clientele quickly made the Viper Room the hottest nightclub in the city, if not the country. Young Hollywood flooded the club every night in hopes of just being left alone, or at least to be surrounded by people who didn't care that they were famous. And this newfound privacy opened the doors for illicit open-air drug use within the club, especially in its private green room. 
Um, when you go to the Viper Room, you can, like, if there's not, like, a big show going on, you can get into that green room, like, no problem. And, like, you're just, like, it's cool for that sense because when you see pictures of it yeah. from this time and then you look at the bench, you're like, oh, this is where every fucking major actor that's going to be, like, winning Academy Awards for the next 15 years was all sitting with, like, cocaine and heroin and fucking pills and all that shit lined up. And, um... There's a show um, that Vice put out. It's kind of like a sequel to the show Dark Side of the Ring, which is about wrestling and is one of the best shows ever. But it's called Dark Side of the 90s. And there's an episode about the Viper Room. And the singer of Counting Crows is in it because I guess Counting Crows got really big at the height of the Viper Room. And he would go there and like 10 bar while he was on the cover of Rolling Stone just because he's like, yeah, it was fun. Like no one cared. So like I would just like run the bar you know as a <laughs> and like right. i was like that's really cool counting crows guy <laughs> right yeah so, so the reputation of the viper room took a sharp downward turn on halloween of 1993 like literally same year it was open after the death of 23 year old actor river phoenix phoenix had taken a lethal mix of narcotics at the club and was brought outside in the midst of an overdose his brother multi-academy award-winning actor joaquin phoenix placed a now infamous 911 call on a payphone outside of the club just feet from where his brother died moments later uh that was a sad thing and it totally like this is a true heroin chic moment where someone young and beautiful who's super fucking cool, too cool for the accolades that they're receiving, dies of a drug overdose on the sidewalk of a rock club, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's really changed the landscape of celebrity and the way that young actors were looked at by the press. Also interesting to note, um, the, the Viper Room has always been known as kind of being cursed. Um, also interesting to note, before I get to this next part of the curse, um, it's rumored rumored heavy emphasis on that that john Versante of the red hot chili peppers is the one that gave river phoenix the drugs that killed him he probably um, fucking did <laughs> yeah yeah it was like a, it was like a speedball kind of a deal like a mix of all the shit that you shouldn't do separately but then doing it together i mean that guy yeah he probably did but... <laughs> he probably did he probably did you know i mean but like at that point but, in time, I mean, within like... that scene it was like sharing a weed pipe like it yeah. wasn't they didn't see it as like this could kill you well, I mean, it's like, you know, that's like whatever you're doing dope, like, I guess you assume that everybody you're doing dope with knows what the fuck they're doing or right. has done it before. And, you know, like usually if someone's like a first timer, it's like, uh, this is my very, very first time, you know, or like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know. hey, guys, uh, first time here at the dope house. And, yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me like the culture is very like uh everyone's you, on their own because like, they're too cool to ask for help yeah but but also like you know who does it and who doesn't do it because right well river phoenix yeah. did do that stuff he had just yeah. but he had left to to go film a movie for like three months so he so wasn't he probably partying, wasn't and then he comes back much, yeah exactly jumps into it classic drug addict shit yeah uh, but the singer of in excess michael hutchins uh he played his last show there in 1997 one week before his suicide which is also uh you know, rumored to be an autoerotic asphyxiation type deal. But right. now this is crazy. And this doesn't really have to do with heroin chic. But when I was reading about the Viper Room, I found this out. So Johnny Depp eventually gave up his part ownership of the club in 2004 to the daughter of his ex-business partner, Anthony Fox, who in 2001 filed a lawsuit against Depp claiming he was being cheated out of millions of dollars due to Depp's shady accounting practices. Fox was scheduled to testify before a court and Depp himself, but he went missing in late December of 2001. <laughs> the, 
Yeah, the whereabouts of Fox are still unknown and the case remains open. Several independent investigations have cleared Depp of any involvement of the disappearance of his disgruntled business partner. But what's weird is the guy's... uh, His bank accounts weren't cleared out. He still had tons of money in his bank accounts. They found his truck... Like with with a, with a gun in it, like like all the shit that you would take with you if you were just gonna try and disappear on your own, he didn't have. So uh, that's some shady Hollywood shit that I huh. love. Wonder yeah. what happened there. Yeah. Also, the uh, pussycat dolls got their start at the Viper Room. They well, were like a that house, house okay. Group. Now yeah. that yeah, now you're talking my language. Now we want to talk about some fucking history. All right, let's. <laughs> this is where the pussycat dolls got their fucking start. The Pussycat Dolls, I will never forgive COVID for taking away their reunion tour. Yeah. <laughs> we lost a lot of things, and that was I one of them. I am so upset. No, that is – that that's my shit right there. They, they, talk, yeah. they, they have the founder of the Pussycat Dolls in that Dark Side of the 90s episode, and, like, yeah, they started as a burlesque group that right. then became this pop group, and uh, Christina Applegate would show up during, like, the height of Married with Children, and, like, her, her like – you know, young, hot Kelly Bundy fa- like phase mm-hmm. of fame. And she would dance. She was like a professional dancer. So she would get up on stage and then other young actresses would like, so they would do surprise shows where you're going to see like three A-list that, actresses doing burlesque. That fucking rules. Like that's yeah. cool. Viper Room was very cool. And it was yeah. very, very heroin chic. So right. now let's get to the main chunk here. The main element of the heroin chic movement was the fashion industry. The term heroin chic itself was created to describe the popular aesthetics of fashion advertisements at the time and was later applied to other pop culture elements of the era. Just as young people making music and film began rejecting the trends of the previous decade, so did artists and photographers. There was a new guard of photographers that took inspiration from the bleak and transgressive works of the past, like Larry Clark's 1971 photography book, Tulsa, that included harsh black and white images of the realities of being young in a small town where there was little to do except drugs and cause trouble. Clark, uh, the guy that did that book, he later became known for his fucking heroin chic masterpiece, Kids. He, d- he was the director of Kids. Harmony Korine wrote it. He also did Ken Park, which is literally kids on steroids. And he did Bully, three of the darkest films ever. Like, you, you've seen Kids, right? No. <laughs> you've never saw Kids? I've oh never my God. seen Kids. Well, it's, it's Chloe Savigny, like Rosario yeah. Dawson. They're, yeah. like, super young. It's everyone's first movie, basically. Almost everyone in that fucking movie is dead, like, in, in real life now. And, it, yeah, it's about – it follows, like, the transmission of HIV from kid to kid in this, like, small group of skaters. But Ken Park is that, but it's in California. And, he, like, they just straight up show, like, full nude threesomes between, like, teenagers and, like, right. autoerotic asphyxiation and, like – like it's just insane shit. And then bully, of course, it has one of the most notorious rape scenes in like any fucking film. So like these Larry Clark kind of is the creator of the visual aesthetic of heroin. Sheep. I mean, trust me, I know what the films are. I've just never watched them. Cause I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, cause they're I depressing. Mean, cause they're depressing. And I'm like, I'm kind of already, I've already lived this. I don't need to see it in a movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's watch like Betty <laughs> professor to the clump or something instead. Yeah. I mean, right, so I, I don't know. Maybe I, I should watch it just to, to, to know, but I mean, it's worth it for, okay. Yeah. You don't need to see Ken Park and you don't need to see Bully Kids. I feel like is worth it for posterity because it was so influential, you know? Right. And, and, and it was so fucking real. Like a lot, like, um, if you, 
see the we covered this on our Patreon, the documentary Kid 90. It mm-hmm. was a uh, Soleil Moonfry. She you know, the child actress from the 80s and the 90s, right around all this time here, heroin chic time, she was obsessed with the video camera. So she would go around filming all of her friends. Her friends were the young, promising faces of Hollywood that are now all huge. And yeah. she moved to New York before Kids was made, but her friends were all the cast of Kids. And they all got put in this, they all got put in this movie together. None of them had acted. They were all skaters and stuff. And that's why she liked New York. And she's like, oh, what the fuck? I moved out here to hang out with non-actors. Now all you guys are in a fucking movie. But um, really crazy. But let's talk about heroin itself real quick. So heroin itself became more prominent in the fashion world as it became more pure and the most popular method of ingesting it went from injecting, which had claimed the lives of countless people, not just from overdoses, but also from the transmission of HIV uh, to snorting and snorting. It made it much more accessible and less taboo. You're already used to seeing people snort cocaine all the time. Why not this? Uh, now the supermodel Gia, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna butcher her fucking last name. Um, fucking Angelina Jolie plays her in the movie. Yeah, Gia. she she went by Gia, yeah. but uh, she was kind of one of the very like one of the first like supermodels ushering in the new era. She was the toast of the fashion world when she tragically died of AIDS at the age of 26. She had contracted the disease through the use of dirty needles. And her drug use was well known in the fashion world and a reckless abandon became somewhat of an anti-hero story. It's like the whole dying before I get old thing, the leaving a beautiful corpse, burning out, not fading away. That started like really registering with with young people, especially creative people, um, where it was like it wasn't like no one was avoiding heroin because it might kill you. They were doing it almost because it might kill you. Not hoping to die, but knowing that like you're standing on the edge of the cliff, you know, and like Marilyn Monroe is kind of like a a very early example of this idea of like, oh, died before her time. Look how beautiful she is in her bed with her nightstand full of pills and like that, like just clicked with like a a certain group of people. But it's like all of you need to be on SSR. Our, our eyes you're all depressed yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it's like exactly that that's that that's what the, the the truth is under all of this is that you're well, the, all the fucking trends, depressed yeah the, the trends started reflecting the like inner workings of like angst rather than like being yeah. like no like we're here to entertain you and like make life fun it's like you feel this way, everything's going to be this now. Yeah. Like now everything's going to be depressing because we know that you guys are. So we're going to cater to that instead of, you know, throwing lipstick and, you know, glitter on it. Yeah. Now the two models that really, there's more than two, but the two that were like the main personifications of heroin chic were Kate Moss first and Jamie Clark. And Moss Uh especially became the go-to face of the trend. The models that were becoming huge successes in the early to mid-90s were a far cry from the models of the decades before. They often wore little to no makeup to expose bags under their eyes and their gaunt features that if they did wear makeup, the makeup was there to, like, exacerbate the, like, perceived negative features, you know? So, like, they would put Vaseline on their face. you kind of make them greasy. Like, their hair was, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, unkempt. And the bags under the eyes was a big thing. But also their bodies themselves were a little more wayfish, often described by critics as emaciated, Mm -hmm. which is just mean. But, I mean, by this time, like, the... 
you know, the whole cliche of eating disorders and stuff, that's all confirmed in the, in the fashion industry by this time. So it was kind of just wearing it on your sleeve where it's like, well, look, you know, this is the way the fashion industry works. We're going to show you that now. Yeah. You know, rather than like, like don't wipe the Coke off of your nose, like leave it for the shot. Oh yeah. I mean, modeling agencies like now it's completely different, but I remember like walking into Wilhelmina when I was like 22 and they literally told me to lose 15 pounds and Jesus. <laughs> I'm really skinny. Yeah. So, so it's like, oh, and that was probably like, that was probably like 2012. So right. imagine, not, imagine yeah. 1998, like. <laughs> exactly. You know? and, and also there wasn't any like perception that that was even like fucked like obviously if you were the model you knew that that was fucked up but like the industry itself they're like no that's how it is you know yeah. that created this like impossible set of beauty standards that would last like the next 20 years you know and um also i just want to throw in a male model example vincent gallo was modeling at this time and he was kind of the male equivalent to like kate moss as far as right she, right like, that look and like some of his films like brown bunny or fucking buffalo 66 could be seen as heroin chic he's now a uh staunch uh right winger uh with a lot of uh awful <laughs> things to say about about the me too movement go figure <laughs> what a <Yeah>. shock <laughs> what a shock so perhaps the most important part of this whole story is the life of the gone too soon photographer david sorrenti Sorrenti was born into a fashion family. His mother was a respected fashion photographer and his siblings would go on to work in the industry as well. From a, from a young age, I just got like bumped by my mic, like in my mouth, it punched me. <laughs> uh, so from a young age, David was interested in the works of people like Larry Clark, who showed him that the raw reality could be just as beautiful as ultra glamorous, heavily touched up photo shoots. This inspired him to begin taking pictures of his friends and arranging small-scale shoots of his own. By the age of 19, Sorrenti had traveled the world and was single-handedly changing the landscape of fashion photography with his one-take style of shooting. He was in a bunch of magazines, like UK magazines at this time, like ID and stuff, were doing much edgier things. Like, it hadn't really reached Vogue levels yet. It would, mm -hmm. but it, it was more of, like, the cooler shit. And then also 1999, like, that's when Vice magazine starts. Vice would become arguably the coolest magazine for the next, like, five or six years, starting the whole indie sleaze thing. Right. But... You know, like his friend group, this guy Sorrenti, they were the kids from kids. Like they were in a graffiti crew. They were skaters and rappers and models and like like a collective that young people tend to throw together when they're in a new big city. Like, let's collab. But mm -hmm. this is back when that wasn't like that lame. Also, <laughs> I, you know, I, I watched this documentary about him called See No Evil. It's on YouTube. And uh, I, I did a docu dump on it for our Patreon you subscribers out there. But like what was interesting is that there's always going to be obviously someone older that is the one that gives the youth their break and i think that that's a very special talent because when i run into like a 19 or 20 year old and they're talking about all these big things i'm just like you're a fucking loser like that's the worst idea but like there's got to be someone out there yeah. that looks at that and is like okay like i'll take a chance on this and then they become like the next fucking big thing like if machine gun kelly had come up to me at his very start of like before he was ever famous i'd be like this is a joke speaking, and speaking of machine gun kelly i came upon a video of him this morning before he was famous and he's like gotta oh, be like yeah. 23 and he's talking about how much he wants to fuck 17 year old kendall jenner and he oh, goes dude. on this whole rant about he's like 
he's like, what? It's not creepy. I'm 23 and she's 17. And whenever you're a big celebrity, there are no rules. I don't give a right. shit who you are. If you're, if, if, if Kendall Jenner is naked in your bed, I don't care if you're 50. You're gonna go fuck yeah. Kendall Jenner. <laughs> this yeah, no, dude. And then that uncovered. He also tweeted one time years ago. He said something like, "Why are teenagers so hot now?" Yeah, right. Like, yeah. But man, who who gave that rat his fucking break? Um, yeah. Well, hey, and I'll say this: uh, he's kind of in this new era of heroin chic, uh, like the look wise. Well, uh, yeah, but that's manufactured, and also the creepiness. Yeah, yeah it's creepiness. manufactured. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, we'll talk and about it's actually more. not heroin chic. It's oxycotton. It's oxy chic. <laughs> it's oxy chic, which is a completely different like culture because it has to do with uh, the pharmaceutical co- uh, companies. Right. And not making it perfect. street drugs. Yeah, making it perfect. Right. You know what? That's funny. When you said like that, his whole like thing is manufactured. It's like that's kind of like it's like heroin was so good and it was such a street thing that pharmaceutical companies like let's manufacture this to make it clean. Yeah. Into a perfect Oxycontin is the MTV of fucking yeah. drugs. Yeah. yeah, and that's how all my friends got addicted was because <laughs> because because whenever I was in high school people were storing oxys because they thought it was like just a pill <laughs> right well that the girls from pretty wild alexis nyers exactly I mean, she, she was doing that everybody like, i remember i remember I, I i never picked it up like i i tried it once and i was like wow this feels way too good <laughs> I always, like, well yeah that would always scare me if i ever took like a pill i would always like once it would start working i would get really nervous because i was like okay like i'm too relaxed am i about to die is this like how is this how it goes yeah I, I just couldn't deal with that anxiety of feeling like i took too much always right right i mean but that's how everybody gets addicted that's how you get into heroin is because you got into oxycontin first Right. Yeah, that, that that's definitely the, the thing now. Now, also on top of this, with, with um, this guy Sorrenti and his friends, they created this like brand like they were doing like streetwear stuff and they made these shirts that said models suck. And it's because they were all coming from like parents of the fashion industry and models suck. And they, those became like iconic. And then mm-hmm. later in the 90s, you start seeing like stickers that say mean people suck and like right. cops suck and that all was ripping off this very cool new york thing that said models suck right um, and there was lots of other photographers that were influential in the scene but sorrenti stands out as the key figure because the controversy of heroin chic surrounds him and i'll tell you why so Sorrenti's girlfriend and muse <laughs> muse i got i i'm on tiktok now and i've just been seeing that fucking whatever julia fox fucking uncut gems mute like kanye's mm-hmm. muse clip a billion fucking times but yeah so sorrenti's girlfriend and muse jamie king was the subject of a new york times magazine cover story in which she admitted to using drugs at the age of 14 as she entered the world of modeling and then she you know went on to say how prevalent it is and all the sketchy shit about modeling and all that and she was so young and she still was young at the time of this interview mm-hmm. and the article included photos by sorrenti that showed king on a bed in torn clothes bags under her eyes surrounded by photos of celebrities who died of drug use um <laughs> But the thing with Sorrenti was he like he might set that up to be like, okay, you want to talk about drugs and stuff? Let's have you surrounded by pictures of Sid Vicious and fucking, you know, Janis Joplin and all these other people. Um, Yeah. But I'm only going to take one picture and we're not going to do anything to it. So he was like a one take guy. And when he would turn in his shots, when he would do like interview magazine photo shoots, he would just give them the roll of film. And he's like, here it is. 
And they're like, mm-hmm. well, no, you have to like pick one out and touch them up. He's like, no, no, no. Like everything you need is on this roll of film as it is. And that's what he became known for. Right. So at this point in time, the heroin chic style was being adopted by major brands such as Calvin Klein and was exposed to the mainstream. But unfortunately, this new level of visibility coincided with the death of Sorrenti, who in 1997, at the age of 20, succumbed to a lifelong battle with thalassemia, a hereditary form of anemia. His whole life, he would have to get blood transfusions regularly, and it would keep him sick. But that gave him this lust for life that made him into the one of the most influential photographers of the 1990s. Right. He's like, I got to hurry up because I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. And yeah. none of his friends really understood that except for those that were really close to him that knew yeah. he was sick. Yeah. And be like, oh, fuck. And he was covered in scars and stuff from surgeries. Right. Um, but when he died, it was discovered that there was traces of heroin and other drugs in his system. And by all accounts, the amount of drugs in his system were not nearly enough to kill him. But once word of his toxicology report got out, heroin chic became a nationwide concern. Like, finally, someone who was like, putting out these images of these young girls that teen girls at home are now trying to Im- like imitate, like finally someone died, you know? So now we can mm-hmm. make it a bad thing. So his mom became really vocal against the treatment of models, like the, the just all the negative shit in the fashion industry. She took her son's death as like, this, you know, torch that she ran with and has done a lot of great things uh, for the industry. She also mm-hmm. was really against drug use in the fashion world. And then Bill Clinton made a televised statement about heroin chic and i'm going to play that clip for you right now that images projected in fashion photos in the last few years have made heroin addiction seem glamorous and sexy and cool and as some of the people in those images start to die now it's become obvious that that is not true you do not need to glamorize addiction to sell clothes yeah, yeah, uh, this is bad. Yeah, exactly. Drugs also, are bad, like, okay? <laughs> yeah, that, dude, that is how it comes off, okay? It totally comes off like that, and it's like, it's like, yeah, no shit. Okay, there's heroin in the name. Like, we know it's bad and dangerous, but, like, you know what? Everything was bad and dangerous. Guys, Bill like, Clinton told me that heroin's bad, so, yeah, so I, I don't know. So let's get you out of those spaghetti straps into something a little more classy, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> So soon, the heroin chic look was being rejected by not only the industry, but also the public. And in 1999, Vogue magazine declared that the upcoming model, Giselle Budshin. How do you say that shit? Budshin. Budshin. Giselle Budshin. Yeah. Yeah. Budshin, I think. She represented the, this is Vogue saying this, the return of the sexy model. And then they declared that heroin chic was officially over and that curves were back. Even though curves for someone like fucking Budshin, it's like, that's not a curve. Like, that's a very Amazonian, like, tall. They they were like, (laughs) curves are back, a.k.a. we are going to let them have big boobs. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly. It's like so you can be so you're still a zero, but now you yeah. have an impossibly large rack that only right. happens like very like rarely on very very thin women. Yeah, we want <laughs> alien women. Yeah, like, like straight up like Barbarella shit. Like and like women that have the 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 P s- silhouette. Like. The P- <laughs> like <laughs> You're a stick. Yeah, the Peabody. And then there's a P, and then there's your huge tits. Uh, 
that right. usually doesn't happen. <laughs> and I think what the I think what the fashion industry was really doing too at that time was they were like, okay, we're still going to treat all the models like garbage, but we don't want that to show in the ad campaign. So no right. more heroin chic. Right. Smile, wear the makeup, wear the fucking yeah. you know couture. But like, no more of this heroin chic stuff. But we're still going to treat you the way that made the models look and feel the way that they did during heroin chic. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so, even worse. Probably but, even worse. Yeah. yeah. So now it's coming back. And throughout the last decade, there's been a major push for body positivity and diversity within the beauty industry. Which the has desired... ruined my career. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. The desired body type for young women transformed from Kate Moss to Kardashian. And there was also a new wave of plus size models that seemed to signal the end of the unreachable standards that the beauty industry had been pushing basically since its inception. But what is happening now is young people are circling back to the trends of the 90s and the early 2000s. And along with that comes the negative impact of heroin chic. For instance, like vaping was the big thing amongst teens. Cigarette smoking is back up. Now more teens are going back to cigarette, like actual cigarettes because they're seeing it and all this like old pop culture yeah. shit that they're going to. Drug use is also up and eating disorders within the last year have gone up 4% amongst young women. And you can like fashion trends are a cycle. What was popular 20 to 30 years ago will begin to influence present day fads. Yeah. And, like a TV show like euphoria, for instance, or a pop star like Lana Del Rey, or even I, I'm going to go so far as to say that for the first time we have a heroin chic comedian, Pete Davidson. Oh wow! All, they yeah. all kind of signify this return of heroin chic, not to mention, like we talked about at length earlier, the resurgence of indie sleaze, which yeah, is essentially the combination of the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. So, it's heroin chic with social media is essentially what that was. Oh boy, which is just that's we're gonna end up with a lot of dead people. Yeah, uh. and, and it's funny because we we just got yeah. to a place where like there's a plus size model on the cover of Cosmo, and yeah. now kids are like going back to low rise jeans and fucking like yeah. drug use and yeah. like that that's cool again and like everything's supposed to be like down in the darks and pills and like I would even say that that rapper that that died Lil Peep. Uh, was very heroin chic, you know, and like his sound yeah. and, and that look and then dying from pills at such a young age. It's all coming back. And it's like, we can wear the clothes. You don't need all the bad shit. Yeah. But. Yeah. But I mean, but I think it also has to do with just like the reaction of like the opioid at, like epidemic. Like that's yeah. still alive and well. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know who OD'd and died. Like, it's just yeah. it's like it's just a rampant thing no it's it's terrible and also mm -hmm. i mean like the body image thing like we were going in such a good direction for like a second and then once the trend caught back up to the 90s again now it's back to to where we were and like you have brands like for instance like dolls kill that's like a heroin chic fucking outlet store Ooh. you know it's like there, there's that kind of shit and like american apparel was kind of that like during yeah. our time, yeah. You know, but like, and like Vice Magazine, which used to be so transgressive and so crazy, now it's basically just like CNN for young people. But yeah. back in the day, it was like drugs, sex, fucking like horrible shit. Terry Richardson, like, yeah, know, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we just need those big butt girls to keep keep showing their big butts so that right? we can we can have uh, body positivity. 
yeah, like I, re- I read one article. I think it was for like, uh, it was like, just some some fucking blog. But it was like BBLs are over. Heroin chic is back, and I was like, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've been seeing that everywhere too. And I mean, I mean, I I feel like yeah, that's probably true. But um, you know, like. I don't think that having an attractive, nice, big ass will ever go out of fashion. I I agree with you. <laughs> like, I, I completely I think agree with I, you. I, I think that it's like a just primal instinct to. <laughs> yeah, I hear like the drums going off you in know, my head. Like, you know, dum, 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 dum. but also uh, like the like there is a lot of truth in like societal um, like like society will influence what men find attractive like throughout the periods of like of like decades like 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 i remember like back in the 80s you know if you were if you had a little tiny little like frame and big tits then you were considered super hot and there were still men in the 80s who wanted to fuck chicks with huge asses but yeah, like, but men. But but like what I'm saying, like but like those women like weren't weren't like the ideal, you know, and yeah, and I'm sure that that influenced a lot of people. It, it's the same way that like guys who actually like fat chicks won't say that they like fat girls, you know, because it's like it because they're not supposed to be perceived as like the like main hot, you know, type of yeah. genre and of woman. And, and and that's a that even when. Again, even when there's a plus size model on the cover of Cosmo, you still have guys like because it's so burn in their brain that that's not what dudes like, even yeah. though it's what they like. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's unfortunate. It, it all falls under this umbrella of just fucking mainstream beauty standards being shoved down our throats. Yeah. It affects every level of the psyche of a young person and older yeah. people. Yeah. And, and it is it is all manufactured. But like there yeah. are all kinds of people that prefer different types of body shapes and, and sizes and and like if they had never been exposed and not heroin junkies. Yeah, like if they had never been exposed to whatever type of media trend that's popular, they they wouldn't even think twice about it. They'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I just like her because that's what I like, you know. Yeah, like an Amish girl. That's like a real like she's like not tainted by any beauty standards or anything. Just just built how God intended. Right, but but I'm, I'm saying like 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 the individual would be attracted to what was actually like genetically to give them the best offspring for what was suited to actually exactly. what they were. You know it's exactly. Like... And I'll tell you right now, heroin chic. When you look at like like that, those aren't that's not suitable for uh for offspring. Yeah, you know? like like like, like, last like like primarily like like whatever you. Think about like 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 primal instincts like a junkie girl is the, no they're uh, not gonna be around to, to that you know bear like the children like that well they're also like it's like they're not sexy like they they, they look like they're sick and they probably smell bad right. and like they are but that was cool like that their became skin cool. like like their skin is bad like that's not sexy like when you think of like something that's sexy you're thinking of something that like is hot and right and right and and at and really at the basis of that is health yeah health and that's something that's been ignored in the fucking fashion (laughs) industry for fucking ever so 
what does it all mean? What does heroin chic mean in the world of culture dumps? Well, I guess it means that the kids aren't all right. Young Whoa. people will always, yeah, <laughs> young people are always going to latch on to what they feel represents them in their generation the best. And oftentimes what is best is what's the most real. While heroin chic wasn't necessarily about heroin use, the term was fairly accurate. When you tell people that they can't have something or shouldn't do something, you're creating a desire for the forbidden. The heroin chic films, music, and ad campaigns were not really inspiring young people to go out and do drugs and be sickly and unsafe. But when the aesthetic of heroin chic became wrong in the eyes of parents and politicians, that is when the negative impact on behavior took place. And don't do drugs. They're bad for you. <laughs> they that's, sure fucking are <laughs> and that's what it means to me so Dinah, do you have anything going on you want to plug for the folks listening? Uh, you know uh if you are depressed get help <laughs> and, um, <laughs> that's good that's that, that that's what i want to plug and don't well, and don't awesome. do drugs to mask your depression and uh yeah. yeah, and don't do them to be cool either because that's how you end up dying. Yeah. Uh, folks at home, if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, which you must be, uh, go down really quick and drop a rate and a subscribe if you're not actually following us and leave a review if you're so kind. If you want bonus content, like, for instance, to hear my full review on the documentary on uh, the photographer we were talking about, See No Evil, sign up to Patreon, patreon.com slash culture dumps. Follow us on Instagram at culture dumps and send us suggestions and comments, concerns to culturedumps at gmail.com. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been joined by Dinah Rankin. Keep on dumping. <laughs>